Joining us today, former Oregon Duck and seven-year NFL vet. He's a Super Bowl champ whose life inspired one of the hottest shows in Hollywood right now on Netflix. That show is All-American, and he is Spencer Pacinger. Spencer, thanks for joining the show today. Thank you guys for having me. You have an amazing CW, story. CW, CW, <laughs> and then Netflix. We got, oh, yeah, we got CW. Click yeah. CW, then Netflix. <laughs> Thank you for that correction. Yes. <laughs> That's what you I do have an amazing, you have an amazing story. Grew up in a South Central Crenshaw area, but attended Beverly Hills High School to play football. Yes, which led led you on to an amazing football career. Seven years is twice the average NFL career. Um, you're part of an elite group that won a Super Bowl. They can say they won a Super Bowl. Part of an even more elite group that can say they played in a national championship game and won a Super Bowl back to back years. Yeah. Yeah. Probably could have won both of those if Cam Newton uh, had stayed home and got sick that day. But <laughs> what you're doing now is so inspiring and important to the people out there. Do you feel that your football career um, was meant to create this platform for you to share your story with the world? Uh, yeah, it, it, it's funny because I definitely think about the trajectory from football into the industry. And if I had done anything different, would I be in this position now? Um, I think football, you know, hands down has given me a platform to be able to tell not only my story, but just unique stories that are that are within the football community and beyond. So I give a lot of a lot of credit and, and where I am today to just those those grunt days in the sun, running, working, lifting, uh, just being with the guys on the field. I feel that your first year was 2011. That was the year you and the Giants went on to uh, win the Super Bowl. That was pretty frustrating. I'm going to get this out real quick, Spencer, before we, <laughs> before I get into my question. That was a frustrating year for us in the Saints. We went 13-3. and Y'all went to Green Bay, yeah. and you handled business, but we couldn't get it done in San Francisco. We was going to have y'all the <laughs> NFC Championship in the Superdome, and we, Listen. And we, could, not, we could not get it. Vernon oh, Davis. Listen, I remember... <laughs> oh, really? Really? Vernon Davis? Really? That's what we call <laughs> I remember we... You know, we to me that season, 2011 season, was a storybook season, and it's like so cinematic because if I if I remember correct, we started I want to say like six and two going into our bye week. We thought we were a pretty hot team at that point, um, and then like we entered no win November. I think we lost like six of our next seven games, so it was just like the highs of highs, the lows of lows. But then come week 13, it was we we went into like win and go home mode because that's the percentages said like if you win if you lose one more game you're out of it. But you know moving into the playoffs, you know I remember not wanting to go to New Orleans because we knew we played you guys earlier in that season Monday night and got blown. (laughs) Like like everybody you you know you lost when even your vets are like hey man win some you lose some. <laughs> but like, I, I remember, and this is one of my like one of my favorite memories of playing in the league that year. Um, was I'm sitting next to OC New York, and everybody's just mad on the sideline. We're we're down by like, I think like thirty points at this time. Right. And you know, being my my wife's family's big Saints fans, like we we have roots there on both sides of the family. Um, and I remember OC just sitting next to me, just like, you know, taking off his gloves, taking off his tape, just like laughing. I'm like, man, like, why aren't you mad? He goes, man, 
you know, I knew I prepared my ass off for this game. Like, I woke up every day. I put in extra work for this game. Sometimes you lose some. Like, I'm not going to – I'm not going to – I'm not going to stress that we didn't win this game because I know I prepared to win it. So that was one of my first like life lessons in the league. But I remember going, being in playoffs, seeing you guys lose to San Fran, like we did not want to go back to New Orleans. (laughs) It was the perfect, it was the perfect storm because we were down there and uh, this was candlestick. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was before that new beautiful stadium they have now. This was candlestick. And it was just a dogfight, and we got yeah. back into it, and it was just the craziest fourth quarter game I've ever been a part of. And to see y'all go and do that in Green Bay, like it's great for you, but for us, it was like this was our road to the Super Bowl. <laughs> that was probably our best offensive year. But uh, while we're still on football right now, um, you did you ended your career with the Carolina Panthers. You had a three game stint with them, I believe. Yeah. Yep. And it seemed like the end of your career was at the end, and, and retirement was kind of looming over your head, but um. But most people, when they get released, it's mad frustration, sadness. But I read somewhere that you were packing up your locker with a smile on your face. Yeah. Can you take us back to that moment? Why? Like, why? Like, why did you have a smile on your face? Yeah, because, you know, going back, I, I've always been somewhat entrepreneurial in the offseason, um, just diving into different avenues that I thought might have interested me. Um, so by this point, year seven, I'm with the, I'm with the Panthers, just going into week three. And at this point, we were maybe two weeks away from submitting All-American. Or what we, what we knew at that time, it was the Untitled Spencer Pacinger Project. Uh, we were two weeks away from submitting that for review. And by that, by that means, it's like you submit it, and then the studio decides that they want to put the money up to be able to make a pilot for it. Um, so we had on good accord that if we didn't fuck up the pilot, we would at least get that shot. Um, so going into my, going into that fourth week, we were playing, I want to say Atlanta and I recently got injured, but I was still practicing and whatnot. Um, but I was in the defensive meeting room and I had this idea for a short film in my head. I'm like, well, it's in my head. You know, I'm not really focusing right now. Let me just like get my thoughts out on this page and then turn back to the, to the playbook. I'm talking like, Luke Keekley's over here, you know, uh, Pep is over there. Like, I'm in the defensive meeting room. So I just start jotting down notes, and I look up. It's like 20, 30 minutes later, and I have, like, a four-page synopsis of what the short film is going to be. And I look up, and there's, like, they're on defense install, like, 12. And I, like, go back in my page. Like, I'd only, I'd only <laughs> written down, like, three defenses, like, Probably one of my worst practices uh, being with them. Um, but it was it was it was in that moment that I looked around. I was like I was kind of scared for a moment, like oh shit, I don't know the defense right now. But leaning into it, like wow, my mind really went somewhere else in the middle, like in the middle of the defensive meeting room with the coaches talking and players answering questions or whatnot. My mind is in like Hollywood land, essentially creating the story. Uh, and I walked out of that room like. I was already in my head thinking this was going to be my last year regardless. But, you know, you as a football player, you never think you know when your last year is. You think you can always do that one more, potentially another one after that. But I walked out of that room like if if anything happens to me, you know, playing, like I'm fine walking away from it. And literally three days later, I got released. And that's when, you know, uh, Coach Rivera, who I, I respect greatly, it was funny because, you know, that in that room, when, you, when you're when you getting cut, I had never really been in that room before. 
Because when I got cut by the Jets, it was a phone call, and I was already, like, flying out to my brother's wedding on, um, on cut day in September. But I never been in the cut room. Everybody's all sad, like, hey, man, you know, we just – we have to get a defense alignment in here. You know, you kind of – the last man in, first run out. I'm like, I'm getting cut. Oh, thank you, guys. Hey, you rolling in <laughs> there like, like So who do I talk to about getting back home? Because I'm, I'm trying to make New Year's Eve parties. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, man, I, I got back, I got back home about like a day and a half later, looked at my wife and I'm like, I think we're getting this pilot ordered. I'm done. Like, let's, let's just make way in Hollywood. That's awesome, man. Well, let's get into the show a little bit. Go back to your high school days. Um, like we said, you grew up in South Central Crenshaw, but attended Beverly Hills High School. Big culture shock there. We can see it in the show. Do you think that going through that at such a young age helped prepare you for your life at Oregon and all the different cities along your NFL journey? Absolutely, hands down. I think it's one of the best decisions my parents ever made for me. Um, and at the, at the time, I didn't quite see it that way. That first year or so, we were, we were bucking heads a lot. Even before that, in, in eighth grade, when they're like, you have to go to Beverly. That's one thing with the story that uh, we had to you know, kind of alter is I went to Beverly from eighth grade. Um, there was no Crenshaw High School, although I was – technically enrolled in Crenshaw High School for like the first two months of high school. My mom like went and bullied the superintendent. It was like, you need to sign his release form. Um, but just just being, you know, being 13 years old, 13, 14 years old, um, just thrown into a different world with, you know, I'm talking cultures, ethnicities, um, you know, just the lavishness that comes with BH. Uh, it, it was, I didn't realize like I was poor until I got there, you know. In South Central, you know, you come you come home and the water is strictly cold. You're like, okay, we're taking cold showers now, or the cable's not turned on. It's like, oh, right, we just want to play video games and watch, you know, more tapes, like more uh, more movies and stuff. But when I got there, it was like, oh, you guys, like, this is what money looks like over here. Mm. Um, but you know, for the most part, like moving, transitioning to Oregon and into the NFL, I felt like. That time at Beverly allowed me to just mesh with those different cultures and ethnicities to where I feel comfortable in any room that I go into. And I've actually had a handful of, of, of teammates from college that hit me up afterwards because I would tell them, like, you know, in, at Oregon, I mean, in college, like, they only tell you where, like, you went to high school at. So it's like, Spencer Pacing or Beverly Hills High School. It doesn't say South oh, yeah. Central or Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. So I had teammates that were like, oh, you the Beverly Hills kid, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, ah, oh, man, I, I grew up in South Central. And even, even when we played, in the, we played in the Rose Bowl, we actually trained at my high school that year when we went to the Rose Bowl. So they're like, oh, this is where you at. This is where you live. Like, your house right down the street. Like, I wish I could take you to where I'm from. Uh, right, right. But it wasn't until the show premiered that a handful of those guys hit me up like, hey, man, like, I'm sorry. Like, we, we thought she was just bullshitting us. Like, you right. really are from right. South Central. <laughs> like, I've been trying so to you tell you So you had to go and make a, you had to go and make a show to make, to tell everybody, like, yeah. this is my story. Yeah, <laughs> that's how deep my revenge runs. Right, I'll teach them. That's a that's a whole new level of petty right there. <laughs> that's funny. Hey, um, like you were saying, uh, when you were leaving Carolina, the big hashtag, especially for athletes, professional athletes now, is more than an athlete. Mm -hmm. Um, we got to do some NFL offseason programs together. We did it for a yes. year. I, I would love for you to 
just stress the importance of guys having passions or developing other skills outside of football whenever they are playing sports or even when they're in the, the high school or collegiate level because a lot of guys, especially from where you came from, you know, certain areas where I came from, you put sports so high and when they uh -huh. don't make it, it's such a negative impact on their lives and they, it's just kind of like all they know is sports. And I know for me, uh, if, if football was taken away from me after year six or seven, it pr I probably wouldn't be in the best place. I would have had a little bit of money. I would have had a little bit of success. But when it comes to life outside of this game, it's very important to start uh, developing other skills. You know, Absolutely. so can you just just pass that message on to to kids? Like sports are great and all. They teach you a lot of stuff, but like to stress the importance of just having other skills. Yeah, yeah, and I learned that I, I learned that really early. Um, maybe my I want to say my second year of college. Not to say I wasn't already somewhat thinking like that, um, mm -hmm. but although my family is primarily we're a football family, I, a handful of my you know my dad and a handful of my co uncles are coaches. Uh, I was never pressured to do one thing or another when it came to sports. Like growing mm -hmm. up, I actually thought I was going to play basketball. I I really played football because I just wanted to be like my older brother. And then once I got to once I got to Beverly. I saw the basketball team wasn't putting out any D1 players for years, but the football team was pumping out like two or three guys a year. Um, so I was, it was literally that decision to go, I like basketball, but like this is going to get me into college essentially. But once I got to college, you know, what I would argue one of my first mentors is a guy named James Harris that, you know, he just saw something different in me. He, he was like, hey, you're an econ major. Like you don't really see that too often. So let me plug you into the neighborhood of, of Eugene, Oregon and just get you around business you know, mine. So it's, it was grabbing coffees with this guy that owns a chain of restaurants. It was, you know, shadowing this guy that has a supply chain and, and of some sort. It was just putting my mind in a different space outside of sports to see what I would like. And that's what I was stressed mm -hmm. to a lot of athletes. I've been fortunate enough to be in this position to where, you know, people DM me, you know, every single day, just asking questions about either the show or like, advice on high school sports and whatnot and I try to move past the sport as much as possible because what kids don't know or don't at least realize right now is if you want to play a sport any sport that you want to play right now there's a system to guide you along that route you have coaches you have trainers you have teammates you have regimented hours to work out and to run and to do all that but along with that you kind of lose some of the hobbies that you grew up loving you you lose yeah. some of the things that you know, can take your mind off the sport that, that you didn't really know was self-help when it was. So, you know, for me, getting into the league, it was, it was movies. Um, and, and it wasn't until maybe my third or fourth year that I thought that this could be something outside of sports. Like, I was always like the business mind. Like, I want to do numbers and I want to wear the suits and I want to work on Wall Street, that's it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, going, going back to, going back to just bringing out those hobbies in you, like, when I talk to those kids or just any kids out there that are listening to this, like your hobbies can be a career, like mm -hmm. football, sports, basketball, whatever it is. Like we can have full on careers. Like when you play 12 years, I, I played seven years myself. We're, I'm 30, I turned 32 next year. Like I've likely potentially only lived the first third of my life. You know, if, if I, if I eat healthy enough and I don't know what else I, but, but, I don't, I, I don't, I don't care who you, if you make it to a professional level and, and God bless anybody that does, 
once you walk away, no matter how old you are, you still have those growing pains of being outside the game because you are, you've identified so much with one thing that now that that thing is taken away from you, it's, it's, and I'm talking on a physical level, on a psychological level, even on a biological level, like, like we both know our adrenaline for 12 years, seven years is going to spike at enormous levels at least a few times a week. You know, our serotonin yeah. levels, our yeah. like, everything like that on a, on, a, on a molecular biological level, we're not reaching those numbers now, no matter what we do, no matter how hard we train, we just can't put ourselves in that arena anymore. So I stress this a lot to kids out there that find things that you can be just as passionate about as you are with football. And for me, it eventually it became writing. You know, I would, you know, those games that we were, that we were playing in, those Monday night, Sunday night games, we're flying to the West Coast and, and flying back. When everybody was watching movies or watching tapes or, or, you know, game film, like I was writing short stories, like on my iPad. I would, I would have a movie that, like, I would watch the movie with subtitles on just to see how they wrote that part. Or if there was a movie that I did like that I've seen a million, a million times, I would read that movie on my iPad. So I remember it, it, there was always these funny moments because like Kiko Alonso, um, who, yeah. who we both play with, who's a hilarious character known since college, he'd always come up to me with the iPad like, hey, Pace, look at this play. I'm like, bro, get that shit away from me. Like, we just finished playing the game two hours ago. Like, I don't want to see football. Like, we are talking about that shit tomorrow. Get it away from me. Um, but it was under the idea, like, that That became my self-help. Um, it was just getting my mind off of football when I could. Uh, again, because once you identify with something for so long, you know, and that's taken away from you, naturally there's going to be some growing pains, you know, getting past it. That's major game right there for the youngsters who uh, uh, who are listening or who will potentially listen to that. That's that's real. That's real because I'm I'm just honestly I'm so fortunate that I had the chance to go to Miami and to do some of the offseason things because like Kiko, I was football, play the game, watch it. The next day, who we got to get ready for? Like I was so ingrained on just doing everything football mm -hmm. and then now I'm just glad that I was able to cross paths with you know some people in the Dolphins organization who are able to kind of help get our mindset Absolutely. Going. and I and I and I'll say I'll say that too like you know when I was with the Giants I had a handful of those opportunities but it came more so from a like just remember that you still are a player for the for the New York Giants, not in a bad way, but the Giants are part of that like upper echelon of, of organizations that essentially started the NFL. But once I got down to Miami, you know, we, we both uh, we both know Caleb Thornhill tremendously. Like yeah. he was somebody that was like, yeah, yeah, football's gonna take care of himself, but like let's work on like what you're interested in, and and that's why I, I will always pick up the phone for him because Absolutely. although like I knew that I knew that I would willingly come to him for that advice and for that mentorship, like he was actively going to other players and was like, you need to come to this event or come to this segment or, or whatever. Like he was pulling players in and I have the tremendous respect for him. So you're living your second dream, we'll call it. Um, <laughs> telling your story to the world. Two seasons out there right now. You said you guys are working on season three. How many seasons do you foresee this thing uh, having to tell your full story? Man, as as long as we can, I, I think I think the inception moment would be if if there's a 
if there's a, a show about Spencer creating a show about his life, <laughs> that's like that's like Inception season ten right there. Um, like have a set about a set is it's crazy. We, we actually joke about that a lot. It's like what would be the moment that would end um, that would just end this? Uh, I'm sorry if there's some background noise. My apologies. Um, but yeah, it's 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 just crazy. Um, just the position that I'm in with this. Like I, I, I liken it to be like my own sort of like self-help, self-care because once the show started going, they literally said like, what stories can you tell us from your past? And I'm talking, there were stories that I hadn't thought of in 15, 20 years that I'm looking at now like, oh, that was fucked up. Or yeah. maybe yeah. I should have did this another way. Or right. hitting up old friends that I hadn't talked to in a minute. Like, hey, remember when we did this? Like, what was your perspective on that? So, uh, so a, a lot of it has been sort of therapy for me going back to my childhood and, and like leaning into those moments to see, you know, and some things aren't exactly how we portray them on TV because that was like rule number one is like what you think happened in real life isn't as cinematic as you think it is. And, you know, I've had those moments where like, oh, this happened and blah, blah, blah. And they were like, so you're telling me you just got in the fight. I'm like, right. yeah, it. but you got to understand, this is how I'm like, <laughs> okay. You're not getting it. <laughs> right. So, yeah, it's, it's, just been, it's been such a such a great learning experience. And, and by all means, this is what I want my career to be. Awesome. I was going to say, it sounds uh, like most people, that, most people that come on to do these type of stories, you know, they're just kind of there to influence or tell what happened. And it's just their job for that time frame. But it sounds like this is what you want your career to be. Oh yeah, I, and I actually had those growing pains early on with the with the production where it was like, you know, whether it was like a meeting that I wasn't invited to or or something to that case, like I had to like come in and be like, listen, like I will go grab coffee if need be, like put me in like the low man on the total poem, but like I just want to be in the room to absorb and to learn what it is. And you know, like you said, a lot with a lot of these stories, like you know, they sign on as like co-producers and they kind of come and go as they please. And, and it's just like, they're literally just lending their name and their story. And then you can take the story wherever, wherever you want. But, you know, I'm, I'm in the writer's room as much as I can be. I'm on set as much as I can be. I've been fortunate enough. They, they let me be in the background. Like I'm the defensive coordinator at Beverly High School. Um, but yeah, I, I've just, I've become a student of All-American, just soaking it in. I, sh I shadow the director um, on our season finale of season two, um, you know, potentially, you know, hopefully in the next season or, or two or whatever, again, to put myself in a position to be able to direct an episode. Um, mm. But yeah, that's that's something that I really want to like like lean into is the directing aspect of of both TV and film um, while also writing. Nice, nice. Before I got one more for you before we yeah. get into questions with these yeah. with these two. Um, <laughs> hello, season hello. one. Yeah, yeah. Say hello. Say hello. I'm gonna take these out before y'all ask y'all questions. Yeah. Season one was a lot more football, a lot more action on yes. the field. Season two had a good bit of football, but you got, you definitely dove into a lot more cultural issues. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I want to know why is that? And can you just explain, you know, your philanthropic efforts around your hometown? It's just like how you're trying to change the narrative or help kids and, you know, in, in, in your old neighborhood, just kind of give them an opportunity. Yeah, you know, you know, in season one, I felt like, you know, and this isn't just my thoughts, like in terms of me driving the ship, like we have, we have an amazing showrunner in Kichio Coral Carol that, you know, she, the show is only as good as she 
lets it be. And, and she's amazing at her job and, and crafting stories and direction of where we're taking Spencer and his journey. But definitely in season one, it, it felt like, you know, us kind of coming out of nowhere on CW, where CW at the time was primarily like a superhero show. And then they just have a show about a young black boy playing football. Like we knew we wanted to go somewhat of that Friday Night Life trials of like, you know, getting some, you know, some decent football in there, having those storylines around football and, and the first season of, of understanding who somebody is in a new environment um, could play into a lot of the past successful shows, uh, you know, those teen drama shows. Um, so season one was definitely, you know, football heavy, but we were looking into season two and by all means, we talked about this before we started, like all the football scenes in season one are, the night scenes are shot between 5 p.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. So when, when Spencer's juking somebody out or a big hit's happening, that's happening at like 3 a.m. in the morning when these guys have been in pads for like legit 10 hours. And mm. it's like, it's a, it's, a, it's a beast to be able to create a product like that on such, in such circumstances. So going into season two, you know, they asked me like, well, we do want to give our crew somewhat of a break. How can we still, you know, have football, but, you know, lean, like give our guys a break, like have them not shoot you know, all night. I said, well, there is a 707 culture. And then, you know, that spring ball that's in the summer, that's in this like late spring to summer where we don't necessarily need to have all these night shoots, but could get, you know, some, some cool dynamics on the field. But, you know, aside with that, that's not as football intensive as, as we know it to be. So we really lean more into the cultural aspect of the show when it came to talking about South Central and the problems that come with it. You know, that was one of the first things when, it, when, we, when we were building out the show is I didn't want this show to feel like, you know, no disrespect, but like on a blind side note where it's like black side bad, white home family good, and now we're going to save this black kid from, from himself essentially. Uh, we right. wanted to show that like the sun still shines in South Central just as much as the signs anywhere. And then like, my perspective of South Central being very family uh, oriented where, you know, growing up, I can run in and out of like four or five different houses on my block, you know, playing with those kids, riding bikes with those kids. Like it's not all gangs and drugs and violence and, you know, getting in fights and stuff. Like it's a family atmosphere. And that's something that we really want to bring in. But just culturally, you know, aside from just my story, South Central, there's a, you know, there's a South Central in every city in the country. So just, just bringing in those stories that, aren't necessarily like 100% true to what I went through, but somebody that's watching this show went through something similar to that, you know, in terms of Coop coming out to her mom. Like I have friends that I grew up with and, you know, hundreds of people around the country that have hit me up like, yo, I actually went through that. Like something similar to that, like sitting down talking to my mom that grew up in the church that doesn't understand my lifestyle this show is helping her understand what I'm going through away from what she sees me. She sees me as a person now, just not this, you know, this, this thing. Um, so that, I mean, that's at the heart of the show is just, just bringing the stories that are culturally re uh, relevant to the many South Centrals out there in the world. Nice. Man, that was great. Well, I, I got these two ones. What'd you go say? I said beautifully said. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, thank that you. That was great. Okay, here we go. We got little Miss Jayla. Say hello. Hi. Well, hello there. How are you? Um, how are you, sis? Good. How are you? <laughs> I'm holding up. Good, good. All right, you got a question? 
Do you have a special um, talent that you nobody. that nobody knows about? I would say I do, yeah. So growing up, I, I won a handful of art competitions. I know how to draw, I know how to do the whole thing. Maybe my, my pen may not be as strong as it used to be, but mm -hmm. growing up, that was like my first love was drawing. I would draw anything and everything, mainly Dragon Ball Z characters. That was like my favorite thing to draw. Awesome. You like art too, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, art and dance and all that good stuff. That's Lean into it. Lean into it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got my big dog right here. He represents. Oh boy, he represents. <laughs> hey, what's up? What's up? How's everything? Good. Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I can't complain. All right, give it to him. Who was your hero when you were a kid? My hero when I was a kid was actually my older brother. Uh, and I'll, I'll say I'll have, I'll have, I have two heroes essentially professionally and then, and then my older brother, but, uh, where I am now wouldn't have been possible without my older brother. Uh, he was somebody that somewhat, he taught me the game of life and football early on. Um, even just how to maneuver in high school and college football. He's three years older than me. And he was actually a, uh, he was a center at San Jose State University, um, between 2003 and about 2008 or so. Uh, was one of the best, like arguably one of the best centers in the country, you know, at the time coming out of high school, back when USC was at the top and they had like Fred Matua and stuff, you know, Pete Carroll literally told him, if you were an inch taller, you'd have a full ride to USC. Like, he was just by far to this day, one of the strongest men I've ever met, just one of the, like both on the field and off the field. So um, I just always wanted to be like him. Uh, that's essentially why I started playing football because I saw how he did it and how he did it the right way um that made me fall in love with it and then professionally i, I grew up although i didn't know i was going to be a linebacker at this time i always loved Derek brooks like who do you play for Bucks. Oh. <laughs> yeah but i mean it, it's weird because being being a kid you know you always look for the guy with the ball in his hands you always look for the receiver or the running back or just the most wild outlandish person but I always remember watching Derrick Brooks, like this dude is so smooth, like from tack, like anything he did was just smooth. And I mean, I turned out to be a linebacker, so maybe he had a, maybe he had a hand in that. Got an influence on you, see? He trying to catch all the touchdowns now. He don't want to be an offensive linebacker like his dad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care, honestly, I hope you do go and score touchdowns. I've never scored a touchdown. It's a little short spot. <laughs> That's for the next show, that's for the next. There you go. Thanks, man. <laughs> Uh, this was a great interview, dude. I appreciate you making some time for Bush and me. Uh, man, thank you for coming on, man. This was great. Yeah, yeah, no problem. You know, you know, I'm here for you. If you need, you need anybody to pre, if you need anybody to preview season three for you, can shoot it over to us. We'll let you know what. Yeah, 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 dude. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to preview it, man. We haven't even shot it yet. I'm trying to. I'm like, this COVID gotta hurry up. Yeah, that's messing with our production. <laughs> Coronavirus messing the money up, man. So, man. Uh, yeah. As soon as season three is done, though, I know you're going to have to send it to the CW. Go ahead and send a couple clips to us. We'll go ahead and <laughs> out there for you. Send you guys um, a new transfer link. <laughs> but, um, hey, when I'm out in L.A., I'm going to hit you up. I'm going to hit my, my, my guy Martellus up. You, you two are, like, two of the, like, most creative people 
I've met. Uh, I draw a lot of inspiration from you guys. Kind of honestly, part of the show is just seeing how you uh, you got to show off the ground. You know, you were in the same position as I was, uh, and you're following another dream. And I see what what, what my homie uh, Marty's doing out there, being extremely creative with his imagination agency. Yeah, so, guys, when we get out, when I get out. Yeah, uh, sure. Marty's killing it, man. He, yeah. He's absolutely killing it. It's it's great to see and uh, just you know I'm here. So hit me up. I appreciate you again, brother. Yeah, no Thanks, problem. Ben. Be safe care. out there. Peace. We'll see you guys next time. Yeah.